Good morning again. That's more like it. That's what I'm talking about. Good to see y'all. I'm glad that you're here today, and I, I hope that you enjoyed how Hal has twisted up our worship service and just got us all out of kilter. Uh, but I tell you what, it's good because we serve a God who is a God of creation. He's a God of change, and uh, I tell you what, although he never changes, uh, certainly the things that he has created uh, have changed. You have changed, you have grown, and you have changed too. But uh, as you know, I began a, a series last week beginning to talk about uh, marriage. And we began talking last week about love and about God's perfect love and what enduring love is. And today we're going to be talking a little bit about God's plan for marriage. And I pray that it blesses you as it has blessed me. Uh, weddings and marriages are just really kind of true to my heart. Uh, I have two people that I've married here today, Courtney and Sheila and Sam and Jana. And every time that I get to talk to new couples about getting married, um, I start oozing with all the gushy stuff. They can tell you. I love talking about love and the kind of love that husbands and wives ought to have for one another. So uh, today's message is uh, springing forth from a week of just ooshing all that kind of gushy stuff. So I pray that you're blessed, okay? Uh, but I want to begin by telling you about the state of Nevada. Nevada is known as the wedding and divorce capital of the United States. I'm told that if you go into some of the jewelry stores in Reno, Nevada, that you'll find a sign that says, Wedding Rings for Rent. True story. Now, most folks who see that sign respond as you did, and they respond with amazement. Some even think, you know, that may be an interesting idea. I mean, it certainly would be cheaper to rent than to buy, right? Uh, but it's sad to say that in our society, for an awful lot of couples, it might be more practical for them to rent their, rent their wedding rings uh, for a period of time rather than to buy because they have this mentality that they can get in and get out uh, real, real fast. So today I pray that, that things are going to change in the way you think about marriage and that in the way that you understand how God thinks about marriage. You may not know that nationwide, uh, nearly half, of all first-time marriages end in divorce. Two-thirds of second marriages end in divorce. And three-fourths of third marriages end in divorce. It's important for you to know about God's plan for marriage. The question that we hear in many colleges is students asking this. They say, is it right to impose a 50-year contract on two 20-year-olds? Is it really fair to insist that two youngsters hardly dry behind the ears should pledge themselves to each other for the rest of their lives? Is it really right to do that? Those are not new questions. Those questions have been around for a long time. Uh, the world has always questioned the commitment that two people ought to have to one another. The world has seen way too many unhappy marriages. This world has seen way too many domestic conflicts, and we've seen this escalating divorce rate. So this is not new, and this is not unique to our day and time. Um, I am somewhat surprised when I hear about non-Christian couples, because every now and then you'll hear about a non-Christian couple who seems to defy the odds, and their marriage somehow seems to work. 
Without Christ in your life, without Christ in the center of your marriage, you are working at tremendous, overwhelming odds against you. Most non-Christian couples, I think, shipwreck their marriage before they even know it. And before they know it, they're in court and they're being divorced. But did you know this? That there was a study done some years ago that discovered that church-going families, not just Christians, but church-going families where both the husband and the wife pledged a strong personal faith in Christ, where both the husband and wife went to church together, and where the husband and wife prayed together, only experienced one divorce in every 55 marriages. A strong faith in Christ, going to church together to worship God, and praying together seemed to overcome those horrible odds. So I believe that it's true that families that pray together stay together. I believe that's true. But I'm worried today because I think sometimes that many church-going people have gotten in step with the world. They start thinking like the world thinks, and they've come to believe that the blessing and the, the sanctity of marriage is just not all that important anymore. Some are just packing their bags. Some of them are throwing in the towel and they're going a different direction without any twinge of guilt, believing that marriage is just something that you try out for a while, believing that marriage is something that you can just leave by the wayside and go your own way if things don't happen the way you want them to. But I have to tell you this morning that marriage is not an invention of man. Marriage is a creation of God. Marriage is a creation of God. So it seems to me, being that marriage is a creation of God, that we need to dust off the old instruction book and find out what God has to say about His plan for marriage. In Genesis chapter 2, we have what biblical scholars call a, a primary reference point. A primary reference point. And this here in Genesis chapter 2 is the first place where the whole concept of marriage is mentioned in God's word. So we got to understand what is said here before we can ever understand marriage in any other context. So let's read together in Genesis chapter 2 and we're going to begin in verse 18. And the Lord God said, did you hear who said that? This is not Brother Bill talking, okay? And the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I, say I. I, God said, will make him a helper comparable to him, suitable to him, just right for him, okay? And verse 19, And out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the air and brought them to Adam to see what he would call them. And whatever Adam called each living creature, that was his name. So Adam gave names to all cattle, to the birds of the air, and to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found a helper comparable to him, suitable for him, just right for him. 
And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam, and he slept, and he, God, took one of his ribs, closed up the flesh in its place. And then the rib which the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman, and he brought her to the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of a man. Therefore, God said, therefore, this is the way it's going to be. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife. And they shall be one flesh. Let's pray. Father, we desire to know your plan for marriage. Father, open our heart, our mind, open our eyes that, Lord, we would look on marriage as you look on marriage. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. In verse 18, the first thing that God said is that it is not good for man to be alone. But before we discuss that, I want you to notice something. Look in chapter 1, verse 31. The Bible says, then God saw everything, say everything. Then God saw everything that he had made, and indeed, it was very good. Say very good. It was very good. Everything that he had made was very good. Now, in Genesis 2.18, we find for the first time that God has found something that's not good. He looks at Adam and he says, it's not good that man should be alone. It's not good. In the Hebrew language, God is literally saying, aloneness ain't good. Now, the ain't is Brother Bill's part. Aloneness ain't good. Aloneness ain't good. So let's stop there for a second and let's look at the scene, okay? Let's look at the context. Here, God has created Adam. God has breathed the breath of life into his nostrils. And Adam is tending and keeping the garden as God has told him to there in verse 15. And then God gives him an assignment. He gives him an assignment. God said, Adam, I want you to go name all the animals of the field and the birds of the air and the fish of the sea and all those critters out there. Amen. And so Adam walks around and he says, you look like a squirrel. You're a squirrel. You look like a hippopotamus. You're a hippopotamus. You're a kangaroo. You're a robin. You're a rainbow trout. And he names all the creatures as God instructed him to. He spends all day walking around naming the animals, the fish, and the birds. And then Adam's wore out. And he goes home to rest. And uh, on his way home to rest, he watches over there and he sees Mr. and Mrs. Robin making their nest together. And he looks over here and he sees Mr. and Mrs. Kangaroo and they're settling down for the night together. And he looks into the water and he sees the rainbow trout spawning, making little baby rainbow trout. But Adam is alone. 
Adam's alone. And God looks at that, and God says, that ain't good. That's not good. You see, you may or may not have ever experienced loneliness. But loneliness is real. And loneliness can cause you pain. Loneliness can gnaw at your gut and make you feel awful. You can be in the midst of hundreds of people who really love you. And you can be lonely. And it hurts. And so God looked at Adam and he felt his pain. And he said, that's not good. It's not good for Adam to be alone. And so he put Adam in that deep sleep and he took a rib from his side and he made woman. Did you see what God's antidote for loneliness was? Companionship. If you're feeling the pain of loneliness, companionship can be the remedy. And did you see what God's model of companionship is? That's marriage. God's plan for marriage. I read about one elderly couple who first met when they were in high school. And in high school, they didn't really have a whole lot of attraction for each other. They dated a little bit, and that was about it. And then after school, they went their separate ways. The man got married and had a long and happy marriage. But then his wife died, and he had been alone for a lot of years. But the woman, she never did get married. Well, lo and behold, on one of his trips back to his hometown, he looked her up, and they hadn't seen each other for years, but that spark was rekindled. That spark rekindled, and they fell in love, and at age 75, they decided they were going to get married. Then came the night of the wedding, and you've never seen a more nervous bridegroom standing there in the front of the church waiting for his bride, and ooh, she was lovely, you hear me? So there they all stood in front of the church. And the preacher began to speak about the aloneness of man. And that God said that aloneness wasn't good. And after he said that, that 75-year-old man, he spoke up and he said, Amen! Aloneness ain't good. And the whole church cracked up. You see, that man, that 75-year-old man had experienced firsthand what God was talking about. He had experienced firsthand that God's words were right and that it wasn't good for man to be alone. And so, God created a solution. God's good at that, isn't he? God created a solution. He created a solution for the aloneness of man. So let's notice the second thing in verse 18 that God says. He said, it ain't good that a man should be alone. I say I. So who's doing it? God did it. I will make him a helper comparable 
suitable and just right for him. God doesn't say, I'll make him a lover. God doesn't say that I'll make him a provider. God doesn't say that I'll make him a mother for his children. What did he say? I'll make him a helper. Now, women may very well be all those things. A lover, a mother for the children, and a provider. But that ain't what God said. God said, I will make him a helper. And so that when life becomes too difficult, when life's just too hard to handle, a helper will be there. And so God created this helping relationship. This helping relationship for Adam and Eve. But he also created this helping relationship for every human being that would follow after them. We need to know that marriage is a helping relationship. The very foundation upon which marriage is built is helping one another. Being a helper. Now, we've all experienced times when things didn't go the way we wanted them to. We've seen where some things happen that we didn't count on, where our lives get turned upside down, and we go through all these trials and struggles and, and challenges. We can go through all those, but you need to know that God has provided a remedy for those who are in marriage. We have a helper. In a hopeless situation... A helper can restore your hope. In a joyless situation, your helper can bring you joy. That's what marriage is. Marriage is two people helping each other to survive and make it through the difficulties of life. That's what God said that Adam was to be to Eve. And that's what God said that Eve was to be to Adam. A helper. So God saw that it wasn't good for man to be alone. And his solution was to provide a helper that was just right for him. But, sorry to tell you, no suitable helper was found. Looked all through the garden, all through God's miraculous creation, but there was no suitable helper found. Notice there in verse 20, but for Adam, no comparable helper was found. No suitable helper was found. Now think about it. There in the garden, all of those animals, all of those living creatures are around Adam where they have no help. Were they not a helper? Well, if you're not very fast at running, grab a horse. You can run faster with a horse, right? I mean, if you're weak, grab an oxen. Put a yoke on him. He'll fly your field for you. That's a help, right? If you're thirsty, why don't you go milk a cow? Get you something to drink. Animals can be of a help. And animals were help to Adam but not in the way that Eve was. And I'll bet you Eve was hot. Did you hear me? <laughs> Adam thought Eve was hot.
I'll tell you why in a minute. Who is Whistler? Alan? Brett? <laughs> you see, there is a unique helping relationship on which marriage is to be built. And none of those animals in the, in the Garden of Eden could replace Eve. They couldn't take the place of what God did. So then God says, I'm going to do it. There's nothing there suitable, so I'll make him one. And God then presents Eve to Adam, and in verse 23, Adam looks at Eve and says, Woo-hoo-wee! You looking good. He said, now this is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. Loosely translated, Adam said, wow. Oh, boy. God, I didn't know you could create someone so perfect for me. Wow. Good job, God. And guess what? All of a sudden, his loneliness is gone. The scripture says, therefore. That's like God saying, okay, from here on out, this is the way it's going to be. A man will leave his father and mother and be joined. A man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. And they will become one flesh. You see, in a real marriage, God performs a miracle. In a real marriage, God performs a miracle. He makes Two different people into one. Many of you know what I'm talking about. Many of you know what God is talking about. But just because you're one doesn't mean that you don't have your own individual ideas and your own personal feelings about things. You know, I thought how wonderful it would be to have a wife who shared my opinions and everything. I thought how nice it would be to have a wife who never, ever disagreed with me. Now, you may or may not know, have known Beverly, but it's an understatement to say that I didn't get that. <laughs> Beverly didn't always agree with me, and I didn't always agree with her. But I believe it was exactly what God wanted. You see, two are better than one. Two coming together are better than one individual because you become more well-rounded when you got a helper. When we have differing opinions, we kind of are caused to re-examine our own ideas about things. And maybe you got to make some adjustments accordingly. But I want to talk to folks that maybe aren't married right now. In the course of finding a suitable helper, it's important that you seek God's choice. That you seek God's choice. It's so sad that in today's time, that uh, often in the passion of dating, people ignore God's guidelines. And they fall in love, and they plunge into marriage, and then they wonder why problems arise. 
I'm just naive enough to believe that God chooses who your mate should be. I believe that God knows exactly who your mate should be. So then what's my job? If he already knows who she's going to be, what's my job? My job then is to make sure that the one I find is the one he chose. Amen? But can I tell you that even if you are so blessed to find the one, to find God's choice of a helper for you, that you will likely still disagree. Can I get an amen on that one, married couples? You don't have to be so vigorous with it. I want to tell you that that's okay. To disagree is okay. God's still working on both of you, amen? He's got unfinished work to do in both of you. So you're going to disagree. But the basic mistake that, that many married couples make is they decide that if they don't agree, then it ain't worth it, so let's call the whole thing off and throw in the towel. That is simply not true. Those moments of disagreement, those moments of heartache, when they're handled in the right way, they can make the marriage all that God wants it to be. He can make that, those disagreements can make your marriage strong. Those disagreements and challenges can make your, your marriage vibrant. And those disagreements can even make your marriage grow as it becomes stronger. So, from the very beginning, God saw that it wasn't good for man to be alone. And his solution was to provide a helper mm, just right for him. But no suitable helper was found, so God made, say made, God made one, a perfect helper for Adam. God knows. And here's the kicker. And he made her in God's own image. He made her in God's own image. This is my last point. My final word. And it comes from Genesis 1, verse 27. And I'd like to share with you from the New Living Translation as you follow along in your Bibles. Because Genesis 1.27, the New Living Translation says it this way, that God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them male and female. He created them. Everybody get that? Male and female, he created them. Can I tell you this morning that neither husband nor wife is made any more in God's image than the other? From the very beginning, the Bible places both men and women at the very peak of his creation. Therefore, neither one is exalted above the other, and neither one is placed below the other. Well, that equality is true. If that equality is true, and it is, why do so many marriages end in divorce? I hear people say that the major problem with marriages today is a lack of communication. I disagree. 
I don't think that the real problem is a lack of communication. I believe the real problem is what you're communicating. Are you communicating anger? Are you communicating discontent? Are you communicating criticism? Are you communicating sarcasm? Well, if you are, you are sabotaging your marriage. You are sabotaging your marriage because those things will break a relationship down. But if we communicate forgiveness, if we communicate love, if we communicate, that got me, almost went up my nose, and communicate acceptance, then we got a solid ground to build on. Communication. What you're communicating is so important. Choose carefully what you communicate to your spouse. Because there will be times when your commitment may wane. There will be times when you'll want to say, I'll love you until you do this or that. You may say, uh, that I'm, I'm going to have to put conditions on my commitment. There will be times when each one of you makes some serious mistakes. And the only way to overcome that is to have faith in an all-knowing, all-powerful God who will knock down those mountains when they come before you, those mountains that are too high for you to climb, to trust a God that will fill the valleys when they're too deep for you to pass, to, to believe that God will walk through those uh, rugged, rocky places with you, to have the absolute confidence that God will go before you and somehow, some way, he will make a way. Friends, that's the only way it'll work. Marriages in our day and time need supernatural help. Marriages need God's intervention. 